welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Uh, this week, we all went to see Widows, uh, which was um, recently in the cinemas in Australia. Um, and this is going to be a full spoilers podcast. Um, there may be some profanity, but we will try to keep that to a minimum. Um, so yeah, let's... Speak for yourself. <laughs> and so let's let's have a chat about Widows. I'm joined today by my crew of Gerald, Maggie, and Anija. Say hello, everybody. Hello. Hi. Hello, everybody. Um, yeah, so let's have a chat about Widows. Um, so firstly, um, why don't I quickly talk people through what the overall premise of Widows is, and then we can go around um, for our impressions. So, um, Widows basically starts with, um, uh, it, it kind of showcases these four sort of couples, right? And um, the men are kind of interacting with their wives, and uh, anyway, so it kind of shows a little bit of their daily routine and their interaction with their wives, and then it immediately basically cuts into this botched robbery, where you immediately realize that the four men who you see earlier are kind of all um, thieves, robbers, I guess, and they've sort of stolen some money and they're in trouble. One of them's kind of been shot. Um, the opening scene basically ends with um, all of them supposedly being in this van. The cops kind of corner them. The cops open fire. The van blows up and the assumption is that everyone dies, right? So all those four men, Liam Neeson, like, and these three other guys, one of whom is the Punisher from the Netflix Punisher, um, John Bernthal, yeah, that's his name, um, they all die. Anyway, it immediately, basically, then subsequently goes to their um, wives, and um, it um, basically kind of shows how their wives react to their deaths, and then, basically, the main character of the movie is Viola Davis, a lady called Ver Ver Veronica Rawlings, who was um, Liam Neeson's character, Harry Rawlings' wife. And, you know, Veronica is obviously dealing poorly with her husband's death, but then immediately we are, uh, like, a gangster basically approaches her and says, Harry Rawlings owed us $2 million, and our expectation is that you pay up in... I think a month's time or a few weeks' time. Otherwise, bad things will happen. So obviously, this sets into uh, sets into train a whole series of events. Veronica um, basically feels compelled to um, do something to make the money because she actually doesn't really have any assets. Her husband's left her this notebook with kind of all of his cr criminal mastermindery kind of in this notebook, and she decides to. Um, kind of plan a heist based off the information in um, Harry's notebook to steal steal money so that she can pay back these gangsters, right? Um, against the advice of pretty much everybody that she talks to, and she basically decides to call the other widows, the other women whose husbands were killed earlier in the film, to... Um, to help her sort of plan this heist. Now, um, two of the widows join, and then subsequently another woman joins their crew, and essentially this film is kind of about this heist. Um, there's also another subplot in this film, which is kind of about this um, this political figure, a guy called Jack Mulligan, who was played by Colin Farrell, and that 
that subplot kind of weaves in with the main plot, but essentially it's kind of about um, politics, corruption, criminality, all this type of stuff, right? Now, uh, I think my description of Widows is kind of, doesn't really do it justice. It, it is a film that is actually, like in my mind anyway, much more than just being about the plot, right? It, it's much more than being a simple heist film. There are sort of deeper themes at play that are genuinely explored. Um, so yeah, I, I think, like, I guess, I mean, I've kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit, but I, I thought it was uh, quite a well-thought-out um really interesting, super intense, like really, really intense um, character-driven heist film, which is kind of different. So, yeah, I thought I thought it was really, really good. Um, should we go around the table and get people's impressions on Widows? Who wants to shoot first? Maggie? Mags, why don't you shoot first? Oh, um, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was really well cast, um, and I particularly loved the um, character of Alice. Um, for some reason, I was quite drawn to her and, and her growth throughout that the story. So, um, just just to clarify, Alice is um, played by Elizabeth Debicki. I think she's like an Australian actress. Apparently, mm-hmm. she's the one. She's a really tall, supermodel-looking lady. Um, yeah, she play, She is like the Punisher's wife, right? Yeah, so you keep yeah, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Seen in recent films such as Guardians of the Galaxy 2, um, the, uh, ooh, what's it called again? Um, the Night Manager yep. series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I think the man from Uncle, she was the baddie. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, I, yeah, I thought that um, her character in particular, in the way that she played her, was, I found her riveting. Um, and I thought that it was a really interesting exploration. Um, I mean, it explored a lot of really interesting themes. But for me, it was um, that sort of dynamic between men and women and power. Um, and also uh, women kind of um, their relationships with one another in a situation where they're all um, trying to survive um, quite a, a, a tragic or traumatic um, situation and um, what it sort of forces them to do and, and how they react to it and how they, I guess, use one another um, to 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 survive. Um, yeah, uh, I also um, I, I thought it was a little bit too long, particularly the middle bit. Um, I think I was waiting with bated breath for the actual heist to happen um, because of the way that um, the um, movie had been uh, marketed as a heist movie. Um, but I was generally satisfied knowing as I was watching it that actually it was it was a lot more, as Darren said, than your classic heist. It was actually more about a deeper exploration of grief, survival, human relationships, um, as well as um, communities and strife, I suppose. Yep, cool. Um, Anja, Jerry, who wants to shoot next? Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um... I, I like like Maggie really loved the part of it that is about the women um, because I, the, the way they set it up, these women don't want to be coming together. They're extremely different from each other. Um, they come from very different walks of lives, uh, walks of life. Their um, relationships with their significant others before the men died um, is is extremely different. 
So Veronica appears to have this extremely loving, um, emotionally intense and close relationship with Liam Neeson. Um, Alice uh, is, you know, she's she's married to someone who gives her a black eye if she ever questions him in the wrong way. Um, who is uh, Michelle Rodriguez? Um, her character Linda is married to someone who's addicted to to gambling. Um, so look, they all have very different um, relationships and they're very different women, and they don't want to trust each other or come together or participate in this. Um, and one of my favorite parts of it is that they they do create these bonds and i love it when um just before the heist starts veronica says if anything goes wrong you're all on your own basically um but when something does go wrong it basically goes wrong for veronica so basically um uh jack mulligan's father who is this menacing old crusty guy um basically pops out halfway you know, through the heist with a gun, um, points it at the ladies. The ladies have their balaclavas on, um, but then he he takes um, Veronica's balaclava off and he recognises her. So she's the one who's screwed here. And the other women pretty much come to her defence. One gets shot. Um, they don't abandon anybody. You know, they, they get everybody to safety. Um, another thing I absolutely love about it is um, that, um, you know, it succeeded. So when they get out, there's this um, scene where one of the male um, bad guys, one of the henchmen of Jamal Manning, um, who is one of the main villains of the, the show, um, he has been following the women all along. He's been, he's in on the heist and he's pretty much stealing the loot just as they get out of the, um, the heist venue. Um, and I love that he doesn't get to do that. It kind of comes a bit out of nowhere that they're suddenly in another car and they've managed to ram his car. But okay. I thought it was fun. <laughs> like it was a bit weird. It came out of nowhere, but <laughs> I did think it was fun. I'm glad they got to do it and I'm glad it worked out well for them. Um, for me, I, I thought the action was awesome. Like that first scene where the men are doing the robbery and you know it's all going to go wrong because the film is called Widows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And, and the scene where, you know, they're escaping, they're being chased, they make it into a building. S- suddenly the police are shooting um, at the car that's in the building and there's a massive explosion. I just thought it was so intense. I didn't expect it to go that way. And so like, I, I didn't expect that explosion and, and um, it was just shocking to see. Um, so I thought the film was really exciting. I really liked the pace. So unlike Maggie... Um, I actually was a bit startled when the heist started because I felt like there's more preparation that I wanted them to do. There was more bonding that I wanted them to do, you know, more funny things that I wanted them to do before we got there. Um, Maybe I just didn't want the film to end. I don't know. Um, But then can I just say the plot twist moment? Oh, my God. So there's this major plot twist. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it coming. I did not see it coming. Um, so basically, like I said, Veronica um, and her her husband, played by Liam Neeson, Harry L- Harry Rawlings, you know, they're, they're pictured to have this really intense, emotional, loving relationship. They've had this tragedy in their marriage in that their, their son has died. So, you know, it's talking about all the issues. This film really does cover all the issues. And a lot of race race issues are covered too, including, you know, policemen just shooting at young black men when there isn't any cause to do so. So he, you know, their son gets um, killed by a policeman um, who was a bit too trigger heavy. 
Um, and so you, they've they've had that tragedy, but it seems like they've kind of overcome it a little bit, and they do, they just seem to love each other so much. And you find out that all along Liam Neeson was playing her, um, so Harry Rawlings was was playing Veronica, and he staged his own death, and he's going to run off with the younger wife of one of the gang members of his that he has betrayed, um, and he has a baby with this um, with this young white woman, um, and just oh my god like my jaw dropped because i didn't i didn't think this was a plot twist kind of movie and so i wasn't waiting for it and i thought it was really shocking (laughs) but excellent and um, viola davis is just amazing like you know when she first thinks that her husband is, is dead she lets out this just howl and there's just so much excruciating pain in her face. And even the way she plays out, you know, the pain and the shock of realizing that he double-crossed her, um, it was it was excellent. Um, I just think the way it ends is a little bit odd. It, it just ends very abruptly. It's hard to believe. It's, it's highly predictable. So from the moment I realized that Liam Neeson – so the way it ends is that, you know, the girls make it. They've got the loot. They're going to walk away scot-free. Veronica is on her own. She brings the loot back to the big garage that they've been planning the heist in. And who do we see in the background but Liam Neeson? Harry Rawlings is waiting for her so he can steal the money. Um, and he basically hits her across the, you know, he hits her and she falls to the ground. And you see that Harry doesn't want to do this. He didn't want her to be involved. But now she's involved. He's going to take the money and screw, screw her over anyway. And he takes out his, his gun and you see him kind of, you know, a little bit tormented by what he's going to do, but he's like, what can you do? And he turns around to shoot her. You hear the gunshot. You think he's shot her. It turns out that she's shot him. I just think that was the most predictable thing in the world. From the moment I um, knew that uh, Harry was double, was had faked his own death because he was going to run away with this woman, that's the same moment that you know that Harry knows about Veronica's plan to do the heist because she comes into the house where Harry is hiding, where this other this woman that he's going to run off with is. She tries to recruit the woman, and so he hears, he overhears pretty much her plan to do this heist. We know that he's going to go after the money. So you know from that moment that there's going to be a showdown between them, and I knew without a doubt that it was going to end in Veronica killing him. And so when the gunshot went off... Um, Um, I know that the cinema I was in was shocked that in the end it was her shooting him, but that's exactly what I would have expected. So it wasn't, it it was pretty predictable, but, but I loved it overall. I thought it was heaps of fun. I loved that it covered all the issues. Um, and yeah, it was, it was awesome. Mm. Okay, cool. Uh, Jerry? Uh, yeah, well, a couple of things to, to note about this film. First, it was based on a, a British television series um, written by Linda LaPlante uh, that wow. that ran for about two seasons. So it's based on a very twisty, sprawling British series, and I think you see some of that in the DNA of this movie uh, because it is a sprawling story, and there are times when things feel as if they've been compressed. Like Adger, I think the preparation for the heist itself um, was dealt with in a rather sort of uh, abrupt hand-wavy fashion. We didn't actually see much of the planning. It seemed to have been a very well-executed, intricately planned heist, but we didn't actually see much of the planning beyond, say, for example, uh, Michelle Rodriguez being forced to run uh, a, uh, run a couple of metres, uh, carrying a lot of um, carrying a lot of Tupperwares full of dirt in in a couple of backpacks. 
Um, so that's the first thing to note. Second thing to note is that this movie was directed by Steve McQueen, not that Steve McQueen, rather the Steve McQueen <laughs> who, uh, who directed Shame, Hunger, and um, 12 Years a Slave. <coughs> Steve McQueen <coughs> makes heavy movies. 12 Years a Slave is one of the most um, brutal portrayals of antebellum slavery ever put to film. And the scene in which uh, Michael Fassbender whips uh, Lupita Nyong'o um, is one of the most horrific scenes um, I think I've ever had the ordeal of watching. Um, Shame is a very, very harrowing film about sex addiction. Um, the, 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 uh, the brutality of which, I suppose, is only occasionally relieved by, um, by, by seeing a lot of Michael Fassbender's dick. So, <laughs> Brutal in so this, is a, this, is, this is a marked departure for Steve McQueen. He's doing a genre film, and um, he does it in great style. A lot of attention has been <clears throat> directed to one particular shot in this movie, namely the shot where uh, the camera sits on the bonnet of Jack Mulligan's car yes, as he drives yes, yes, the campaign yes, yeah. event to his, his mansion, and over the course of a five-minute, or not really a three-minute conversation, um, the camera <clears throat> takes us through streets that are completely destitute in some of the poorest parts of Chicago into an area which is extremely affluent. And so you have this incredible portrayal in very sort of economical fashion of the gross inequalities in a place like Chicago. So so those are, those are, those are a couple of things to note. Now, I thought this movie was, uh, was excellent. I thought... Um, it, it certainly aspired to be um, the heist movie that was more than a heist movie, so it had ambitions to be something like Michael Mann's Heat. I'm not sure it quite got there, but it certainly it, its ambition is to be lauded. I mean, the, the, as, as Anna noted, this this movie hit a lot of notes, touched on a lot of themes, not least of which was the nature of um, power in Chicago. Chicago is one of the most uh, fascinating cities in the United States in terms of the way its politics work. And this movie touches upon them, perhaps superficially, but in a way that I think weaves it, weaves it, weaves it into the story of a heist um, that, that captures, I think, the interest certainly of me and it sounds, from the sound of the things, um, many critics as well. So um, I thought it was, um, I thought it was, I thought it was dynamite. I thought the, the entire cast was um, was excellent um, in in all of the roles t- uh, that they'd been allocated. Mention has already been made of Viola Davis, but I think um, you know we can easily say that Daniel Kaluuya as uh, Jamal Manning's younger brother, the sort of psychotic one, um, was terrifying and was just chewing the scenery in this movie uh, in fi- in the finest sort of moustache twirling style. Um, Elizabeth Debicki was very impressive and, you know, Michelle Rodriguez, you know, was, uh, surprisingly less surly than usual. So, um, (laughs) she played a Fast and the Furious character, didn't she? Yes, she did. (laughs) And she's, she's like really surly in everything she's in, but much less so, much less so in Widows. So, um, so I, I think in terms of, Look, this is an unfair comparison, but we've had two uh, female-centric heist movies this year, the other one being, of course, uh, Ocean's 8, a vastly uh, different film, a vastly less ambitious film, less stylish film, uh, one with um, 
much bigger names though. And I think uh, if, if there's one female centric uh, heist movie from 2018 that will linger in the memory of movie going audiences for years to come, I think it'll be this one. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I agree with that. So I, I think we've touched on a few interesting points that I kind of want to unpack. Um, and I'll also add like kind of like something that I, I kind of picked up. So I think Mags talked about this idea that she felt the film was a little bit long. And I probably tend to agree with her. I, I feel like the film was a little bit bloated. I feel like there were the film tried to do a little bit more than it probably should have, right? And... Anyway, look, we can talk about that later. Um, I, I think the other thing we should definitely also talk about is kind of... I, I noticed... So I, I think the the big shot that everyone was talking about was that sh- the camera shot that Jerry was talking about where they basically put the camera on kind of like the bonnet of the car. But, like, this film is... Like, there are some really, really interesting films. Uh, sorry, interesting shots in this film. Um, and uh, I think I'd like to talk about a couple of them as well. Um and honestly, Daniel Kaluuya is amazing. He is he is a king in this film. He is so good. He is so, so scary. So um, we should have a quick chat about that. Um, but I, I kind of want to touch on kind of why I really enjoyed the film, right? So I think, look, part of, part of the reason why I really enjoyed the film is because of the sheer level of intensity in the film. You really want these women to succeed because, um, I mean... Basically, like, everyone else is a total prick, right? Like, there's no one that you're really rooting for. The, the way this film is structured, you really root for the heroines of, of the film, right? And I think that's, that's, that's really, really good, right? Because it, it feels like that there is kind of something at stake here, right? I, I think um, the reason why this film really, really worked for me, though, was because... I felt like this film was genuinely about something deeper than the heist. And I think all of the different subplots and all a lot of the characterization of the film kind of points to... Like, I feel like there is this theme in this film which is kind of around survival, right? And what people do for survival. Or, or rather, it's kind of like this idea of um, like self-interest versus believing in something greater right like how do people like do people act mainly out of self-interest or do they act because they believe in kind of something greater and i think this this film for the most part sets up this very bleak kind of view of humanity where like pretty much all of the subplots everyone is working out of in inverted commas survival but really out of personal self-interest so you see this like all the way through the film right like um I mean, we know that Veronica, like, uh, uh, Ver- Veronica Rawlings' character, she feels like she needs to do this heist because from a survival perspective, like, if she doesn't do it, she is going to die, right? So she is willing to basically break the rules, break out of her mold for the sake of survival, for the sake of kind of self-interest. And to be honest, the other widows are kind of doing that as well, right? The reason why Alice's story is kind of so engaging is because she absolutely has to basically compromise her, like, what she feels comfortable with in order to survive, right? And, like, you know, her mother basically... Um, encourages her to become an escort so that she can survive, right? So it, it kind of brings up all these uncomfortable truths about what people are willing to do and what lengths people are, go- are willing to do in order to preserve their own self-interest. But then even 
above that, at an overall level, this film actually has that, like, you have the subplot of kind of the politicians, right? So you have um, Jamal Manning, who is the, the, the black politician who's running for the area, but it turns out that he is a criminal boss, right? And the reason he's running is not because of any like greater ideal or anything like that it's purely out of in his terms survival and self-interest because he sees it as a matter of survival that he runs because um he feels like the net is closing in on him as a criminal and he feels like being a politician would be a more lucrative gig essentially right so he feels that for him for him to survive as a criminal he actually needs to transition to be a legitimate criminal i.e like i guess in his mind a politician right (laughs) <laughs> you, you have Harry Rawlings. So Harry Rawlings, his character is absolutely just 100% driven by self-interest. And I thought it was really interesting. Like, the reason why that ending scene where Veronica shoots Harry, I absolutely agree that that is highly predictable. But I think thematically it works because Harry basically says in that scene that it's not even about his new girlfriend and his baby. He doesn't really care about that. For him, it's purely about individual self-interest, right? So, Mm. uh, like, throughout this film, all of these horrible... There are all these horrible, horrible characters and good characters who basically are forced to compromise themselves in order in order to survive and in order to sort of preserve their own sense of self-interest. Ironically, I kind of feel like the only character in this film that kind of wasn't really working... Well, was kind of working out of self-interest, but kind of tried to preserve some aspect of something greater was the character of, um, uh, what's his face? Um, is it Jack Mulligan? Is he the older one or the younger one? Mm-hmm. Jack the younger one. one. The younger one, right? So Jack Mulligan. So there is a great scene between Robert Duvall and Colin Farrell in this film where basically Colin Farrell walks into his, like Robert Duvall is Colin Farrell's dad, right? So, they walk into his office, Colin Farrell points to a painting and goes, oh, you know, I bought this piece of art. He's bragging about this piece of art that he bought, right? And Robert Duvall basically, at the end of the meeting, says to him, what you've bought is just wallpaper. It actually means nothing. And they have this whole discussion, basically, about whether it's art or whether it's wallpaper, right? And I think this, mm-hmm. this, this comes down to the central theme of this film, right? Where if you believe in something greater than self-interest and survival, you believe that there are things that are sort of greater than yourself, right? And so that is represented by this idea that you believe that art exists, right? If you are merely motivated by self-interest, by survival, then there is nothing but this dog-eat-dog, brutal world in which basically people take advantage of others. And throughout this film, you see that everywhere, right? Men taking advantage of their wives, gangsters taking advantage of, like, this disabled... Like, basically, everyone is sort of beating up on who is below them in the chain in order to maximize their own self-interest and maximize their own survival, right? And Robert Duvall basically represents that as well because he doesn't believe in art. He only believes it's wallpaper because from his perspective, it has no impact on his personal self-interest and his personal survival, right? So, like, I think that theme is woven so deeply throughout this film. And I think that sort of dog-eat-dog hierarchy survival, I, I think it really, like, that thematic thrust really helps this film. It really engaged me throughout the entirety of this film. And 
I think the reason why the ending, for me, it worked. I don't think it quite worked for Mags, but for me, the ending worked when Veronica sees Alice in the in the cafe, right? They basically, after, basically, everything sorts itself out. Veronica is sitting in a cafe and she sees Alice randomly walking to the cafe. It's not planned. They kind of lock eyes and you can see that the cogs are turning in their minds, right? They're, they're trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, Veronica's had this chat with them that basically, you know, it's everyone for themselves. At the end of this, we don't know each other. We all just walk away, right? And then the ending is basically Veronica going against her own advice and mm-hmm. kind of tearfully reuniting with Alice, right? And I think that is meant to say something. I think it's meant to say that even though she did this out of survival, out of self-interest, she executed the heist out of self-interest and survival, she is still someone who is, I guess, in inverted commas, good at heart and kind of believes in something greater, right? Because she kind of believes in this bond that they've kind of forged throughout this process, which is why, at the end of the day, even though it's not necessarily in her self-interest to kind of form a relationship with her, you can see that she wants to do that, right? So uh, I think it worked, right? Like, for for me, Mm. like, that thematic... um, the strength of the, that theme that runs throughout the entirety of that film, of this film, really makes the film for me. It, it, it really, really does. Um, I, I don't know if any of you guys kind of saw that in the way. Like, I, I think maybe I'm sort of reading too much into it. But I, anyway, I, I I felt that that was something that was really quite um, quite a well-made aspect of of this film, right? I never really noticed it, but you are spot on. Like, hearing you, like, you made a very strong case for that theme. And, yeah, and I think that absolutely adds even more dimension to this film. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I, I think, so for me, and so let's segue kind of now into, like, this discussion about the bloating of the film. So I know, Anna, you didn't feel that. And I guess for me, like, I, I definitely kind of felt like the middle of the film was a little bit overwrought right i i know mm-hmm. that they wanted to introduce the idea the the pro, you know the police shooting um that you know like police being trigger happy all this type of stuff into the film mm. and for me it kind of took away from the central heist um drive of that fi- of of the film like there was a big part of the film where they didn't really prepare for the heist and kind of things were just kind of circling around a little bit and that was kind of when they started discussing like her history and her son's history and also when they introduced the twist which to be honest while i didn't kind of see it coming i I didn't think it was actually necessary. I think it introduced quite a lot of extra time to the film, which they probably could have um, spent, you know, doing heist elements. Um, yeah, it was... For me, like, those two elements, the the sort of exploration of her son and the exploration of the heist, and maybe even some of... Some of Alice's stuff, like, I, I kind of feel like maybe, like, they drew that out a little bit too long, which is why it kind of, it was over two hours, right? I kind of felt like they could mm-hmm. kept it tighter and kept it as a, sort of limited the scope a little bit more and kind of made it into a tighter heist film, right? I, I don't know if you guys kind of agree with that or not. Like, let's let's have a discussion. Um, I, I slightly disagree. Um 
let me take a step back. It's very, very important that the city of Chicago was selected as the setting of this movie. Chicago has had, um, over the past decade at least, an extremely uh, serious problem with violence and with criminal activity and with um, police violence, particularly inflicted on young African-American men, the most famous example of which uh, was the case of Laquan McDonald, um, I think an intoxicated young man who held a knife in his hand but really wasn't posing much of a threat to anyone on the streets of Chicago, and he was shot 16 times by a police officer who's, I think, uh, recently been brought to trial. I think he, if he hasn't been convicted, he's certainly in the course of being prosecuted right now. So um, I say that because, for me, the shooting of... Um, Veronica's and Harry's son is the triggering event in the film. If you were to take this film in chrono- the story of this film in chronological order, um, that comes first. That leads to a breakdown of trust between Harry and Veronica to such an extent that, as he says in his final monologue to her just before she kills him, "I couldn't fix us." Now that leads that leads him ultimately then to see to seek comfort in the arms of Carrie Coon's character, namely the, the the wife of one of his colleagues, which sets in train the idea of icing his entire crew and running away with Carrie Coons and his new son and starting a new life. So for me, um, that police shooting is the first domino to fall and everything then falls into place. Now so the the idea Part of the idea of that, I think, is in a city where everything's connected, politics is connected to crime, is connected to business, is connected to um, the personal lives of all the all the characters, um, a single event, a single violent event, a violent event that we see too often in a, in a city like Chicago can have these ripple effects which um, which expand outwards and and have effects and impacts upon, um, you know, the lives of uh, not just the parents of the, of the, of the young individual concerned, but um, extending well into the political structure of, of the city. So, um, so Harry's decision to, to abandon his, what he thinks is his broken marriage also leads him to form an alliance with Jack Mulligan. So there's a connection with the politics. Uh, and because Jack Mulligan is in on Harry's plan to, to just run away with a whole bunch of money, so um, for me that was not that was not a waste of time. It was not dead weight. It was not empty screen time. It was actually um, it was actually a core element of the film and absolutely essential to understanding why this movie was was set in Chicago. In many ways, um, given the centrality of Chicago, given the centrality to the film of its politics and its power structures. The, the movie tries, I think, to recall the intricacy and sprawling expanse of something like The Wire and the way that it captured Baltimore. Now, again, given that it's only got a two-hour runtime, it can't possibly do justice to Chicago in the way that The Wire did justice to the city of Baltimore. But it certainly, um, it certainly wears that ambition on its sleeve and... Um, by by having that police shooting as its triggering, triggering event, I think says something, tries to say something about the nature of um, racial violence 
and its unintended consequences um, in, in what is really an interconnected series of nodes that is your modern American urban environment. So I, I thought it was I thought it was integral to the film. Mm, interesting, because I, I I guess I, I had like I, I guess in my mind, um, I mean yes, I agree that the shooting of the sun is absolutely linked to Harry Rawlings kind of planning this sort of um, double cross essentially and trying to escape, right? But I guess in my mind, I actually thought that the Harry Rawlings double cross was actually unnecessary as well, right? So I would have taken both of those elements out of the film and just made it a tighter film that focused more on the heist. I kind of feel like the political element was kind of already there with the whole Jack Mulligan thing. And in fact, the whole, like, Harry Rawlings, Jack Mulligan, I I still didn't really understand kind of what the connection was. Because you had this Jack Mulligan guy who was saying that he wanted to get out of his father's shadow and kind of do things by the book a little bit. But then, like, so what exactly, who, who exactly employed um harry to pull this thing off and then he said something about harry still owing him money and i was just like what is going on like didn't harry take the didn't i see him take the two million dollars out of the car and sort of like when the car exploded so uh, i guess yeah yeah i I kind of just didn't really understand like i kind of felt like that whole aspect of it introduced a level of complexity to the plot that was kind of um yeah that I, I didn't think was absolutely necessary. And I did feel like the politics was kind of covered. Look, I understand that obviously with the shooting, it brings into account all these like, um, look, there's a lot of racial politics at play here as well. And obviously by introducing those themes, you kind of like start introducing that sort of stuff more and more into the mix. Um, uh, I just kind of feel like in the space that was allocated you could either explore those things properly or you could explore them kind of superficially and i felt like it was kind of a bit of a superficial exploration that kind of bloated out the film and my personal preference would probably be to cut it so that like you don't explicitly explore it but i don't know i mean that's just a personal preference kind of of mine um mags amateur did did you guys what were your thoughts on that I didn't think it was integral to the film, but I was really happy they dealt with those issues, I think, is the mm. short summary. Mm. You know, the, the film would have stood alone without without those issues, but I was still glad that they did touch upon them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I thought, they, similar to Darren, I thought that it would have tightened the movie a bit, and then also given the writers the chance to actually focus on the heist and that would take into account the preparation and doing a little bit more of that side. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, it didn't harm the movie. It just made it a bit long. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So let's, let's move on. Um, so I, I also wanted to have a chat. Gerald mentioned the shot from the bonnet of the car. So mm. I, I, I'd like to kind of open up to any other shots that people thought were really well done. Um, I personally thought that the, sh- um, the shot where um, Daniel Kalua finds these two, I think he might, these two guys who are guarding his money, I guess, right? I, I'm not entirely sure what was going on there, but basically Daniel Kalua's gang is looking for people that, like the people who were guarding his money, I think, that basically got robbed by Harry Rawlings' character. 
and they find these two guys and these two guys are kind of wrapping in a dump like I think in a dumpster or like or they're wrapping in this container sort of thing right hiding out from Daniel Kaluuya's character and there is this really intense and well filmed scene where Daniel Kaluuya forces they're in this gym and Daniel Kaluuya forces this these two guys to start rapping and the camera is mm. a single shot and kind of pans around them right and the level of intensity is just insane and the camera yeah. kind of pans around them and slowly pans to the kind of the shoulder of Daniel Kaluuya and you see him kind of slowly sort of go back so it does this full 360 shot and then you see him kind of slowly come back and he pulls this gun and just caps them right and it is such an intense scene it's so brutal right i mean i think that scene was just just as well filmed as that car scene right i think the car scene was really innovative i thought that 360 degree shot scene and then pulling back with daniel kalua executing those guys was like i thought this for me it was like wow okay this guy really knows what he is doing from a cinematography perspective because that shot was just ultra ultra intense and it went a long way to cementing why daniel kalua was such a menacing horrible character in this film um yeah i I don't know if you guys had any other any uh, that sort of reaction to any of the other shots in the film but I, i definitely i love that shot in the gym Mm. Yeah, no, that was a that was a, that was a great shot, and it it's it's interesting because um, McQueen usually uses a very stationary camera, particularly in Shame. There were very very long scenes where the camera was just stationary and 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 let a scene play out for minutes on end, whereas the camera was a lot more mobile and dynamic in this movie. So uh, the, the the two shots we've been talking about, the shot on the bottom of the car and that shot in the gym, are. are, are are very good are very good examples of that similarly the um, uh, the heist uh, was shot you know in, in in a very sort of fluid and dynamic and dynamic way so I think I think what we're seeing is um, a very very skilled filmmaker kind of having fun letting loose letting his you know letting his let his letting, letting his wings out letting his hair down and um, and um, you know, indulging indulging his inner stylist. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I, I did feel like this. This was actually a really yeah. It's a beautifully shot film, and it's um, yeah, it, it's it's really stylish as well. So, one hundred percent agree with that. Um, are there any other things that we really want to talk about in terms of widows? I think generally we kind of we're pretty much agreed that this is a pretty good film that people should dedicate some time to if they haven't already because it's it's definitely well worth the watch um is there anything else we kind of want to talk about in terms of widows Mm, that's it for me Mm, okay cool the only question i had was the scene um with michelle rodriguez and she goes to visit um the the home of um the architect yeah. Um, oh yeah, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> what did you guys think about that scene? I think I, I, I think the thing about that scene is, as Chaz Reinhold, the inventor of funeral yes. crashes and yes. wedding crashes, grief is nature's most powerful aphrodisiac. 
<laughs> yes, I don't. I don't think she was trying to manipulate him. I think that just happened out of that Grace connection. But was, what it was very weird. Was he? For, so I, I completely did. So that was one of these scenes where I completely did not understand how to read it. Right? Because for half of the scene, I thought she was playing him. Right? And then. Yeah. I thought the scene was meant to show how much of a creep he was, because I felt like he was forcing himself onto her. But then she kind of kissed him back as well. I was like, hang on, what the hell is going on here? It was just a really (laughs) weird scene. (laughs) It's Chaz Chaz Reinhold, (laughs) that. Yeah, that that was one of these scenes where, like, from a heist perspective, not a lot was actually accomplished. And I just, I kind of felt like, yeah, it was an interesting scene for character development. But I was like... Did I really need that? But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a really odd scene. I, I didn't really know kind of how to read it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yeah. 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 The only thing I thought was it was Steve McQueen's like sort of gift to Michelle Rodriguez to show she could be more than Fast and Furious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I. I I think that there is something to be said about um, Alice's journey as well, right? Like, her sort of kind of turning to, like, escorting in order to kind of survive. And then I thought it was, like, really kind of well done the way they portrayed the guy that she was with, where he kind of tries to play himself off as kind of a nice guy and then when kind of put and it comes for me it comes down to this theme of survival and self-interest and stuff right because when push comes to shove he's a total prick right absolutely (laughs) he basically just uses money for power like money is a is a substitute for power for him right and Mm -hmm. like when push comes to shove he just completely acts out of self-interest like there's a scene when basically alice says oh i can't actually go to shanghai with you and he just completely turns, right? Where, like, earlier he's going, oh, you know, I want to make this exclusive, blah, 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 all this type of stuff, right? And then the moment she does something that he is a little bit not, like, that is not 100% aligned to his personal self-interest, he just becomes this total creep. And, like, I, I thought that was, yeah, I-, I really enjoyed the way they kind of played that, um, played that character, where they kind of, like, do the sort of, they, they they fake you out on his character. I I, I thought it was, it was it was really cleverly done. Mm. Yeah. Did did you really think that guy was going to be a nice guy? He's got sleaze bag written all over him. Like they picked that person <laughs> to like emanate sleaziness. <laughs> and and to top it all off, he was like a head shorter than Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah. And so and so you just sort of, he was just this sort of short creepy. <laughs> You know, Gerald, that guy is probably our height. She, Elizabeth okay, Vicky is a supermodel, right? She is tall. Yeah, <laughs> she is tall. tall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she, she towers over everyone in the movie. Yes. It is, it's actually quite funny just how much taller she is than everyone in the movie. Um, uh, yeah, but, and then, okay, so... Actually, if you think about it, yeah, it is it is really weird how tall she is, right? And then you have the so the other so before we end, I kind of want to really quickly talk about the other character that I loved in this film that I think <laughs> gets sh- a little bit of short thrift. Belle, you know the babysitter lady. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought she was such a great character, right? Like she's super earnest, 
really wants to work. You know, like when she's kind of running, she physically mm. runs to the bus, like basically someone who is really motivated to try to make their life better, right? Yeah. To the point she, where... She, runs, she does Tom Cruise running. Yeah, absolutely. She does Tom Cruise running. She looks fit as hell, right? Like that lady mm. looks so crazy fit. And um, there's that sort of heartbreaking scene where basically yeah. she leaves her own daughter at home to look after yeah. some, someone else's kids, right? I thought that was a beautifully conceived scene. Beautifully conceived scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I thought she's her character was awesome, right? The only thing that I didn't really understand was that she her character was kind of portrayed as someone who kind of wanted to succeed um, on the straight and narrow because you kind of like you know she's working all these jobs, all this type of stuff, right? But then I guess it's implied that the moment that Michelle Rodriguez offers her the chance to get into this big heist, she's just like. Okay, I guess. Like, uh, I guess it would have been nice to kind of understand how she kind of got into the mindset that she was willing to kind of do the heist, because... Some of it is implied, because she sees her boss paying off the man who works for Jack Mulligan. Yeah. And she Mm. doesn't know what that's all about, and her boss refuses to tell her, just says, you know, I I owe this money, and without going into details. And I think, I think it's... I think we're meant to read that it dawns on her at that point that um, the city is so crooked that there's no way to do it in a complete. There's no way to succeed in a completely legit way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that might be true actually because that kind of runs mm. in Jack Mulligan's case as well. Because for look, Jack Mulligan is a bit of a prick as well, right? You know that he's not a great guy, but at the same time, he has more idealism than Jamal Manning, right? Who is completely just a criminal, right? So, mm-hmm. um, like, it's interesting, right? Because, like, Manning, like, um, Jack Manning is basically this flawed character who does kind of still kind of want to do good, but even though, when, even when he's doing good, there's dicey shit going on, right? Even when he's trying to do good, which is referenced in this sort of, um, J-Wow, what was the name of the program? M-Y- M M-Wow. wow, M wow, M wow, yeah, a really lame name for a program, but like it was really weird because he's promoting this program, and you think that these women are getting ahead, but then it's almost like this sort of high interest loan sort of situation where these women have to pay back the loan at incredible interest rates. It was just like, <laughs> like it's terrible. <laughs> but I actually really loved that scene where she um. She speaks to her boss. Belle speaks to her boss, and she's she's uh, pretty. And uh, her boss pretty much says that she knows that this is almost an illusion, but she wants to believe that she can, um, as a woman in this neighborhood, succeed for herself and be her own business owner. So she's willing to buy into the illusion at any cost. Mm. And I thought that was actually quite a um, quite a powerful scene that mm. sort of sets out. Um, the dynamics within that community. You, you can't get out. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Unless you do something a little bit dodgy, right? Like, if you play the straight bat, it's not yeah. It's not going to end the way you want it to. Yeah. 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 Can I... Can, can I... Also, if, you're, if you're an African-American woman and you want to set up a business, you gotta you got to pay the white man in order to in order to set it up and keep it running. So, again, it speaks to the, the nature of the power structures in a place, in, in um, American 
in an American urban environment. Can I say the person who made me most comfortable, most uncomfortable, morally speaking, was actually Jack Mulligan mm. because he he does sprout certain things like like in that scene that he has with his father where his father says really racist things he says um i don't know he says some really bigoted awful things and jack just looks completely disgusted and says Mm. to him you know what i look forward to the day when you're kind of dead and i don't have to speak to you anymore but at the heart of it and which is what everyone is telling jack nothing is going to change under him because he's not going to change anything. And he is actually screwing everybody over and he is pretending to lift these women up when he's actually taking all their money. Um, and to me, like that made me so much more uncomfortable than all these other bad guys who at least knew what they were doing, knew what they stood for and very on- were very honest about what they were. Well, in a sense, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for me, like, yeah, I agree. Jack's character made me kind of uncomfortable, right? And I I think it's kind of, this is kind of why I wish they had taken out the Harry Rawlings coming back to life subplot, because it would have kind of made Jack's character a little bit less uncomfortable. But the way it's done is that Jack's character is definitely doing something dodgy, right? His his hands are definitely in the pie. But at the same time, he's also portrayed as the only character only politician who believes in like seemingly believes in something but at the same time his actions and his ideals don't necessarily match up and I, I think politically I think like as a character perspective and as a statement around politics I think that that's actually quite an interesting thing to say as well right because we all know that like you know politicians often talk about ideals and i believe that a lot of politicians do believe in those ideals but in practice sometimes they don't necessarily preach kind of uh, practice what they preach right or that yeah so mm. I, I thought that was that was really interesting like i agree i, I yeah. felt super uncomfortable yeah yeah and i but I, what i think it also speaks to is that in a in a in a city in a power structure where violence is inflicted on young african-american men and African-American women can only operate their own businesses by paying tithes, tithes basically, to um, their, their, white, um, their white benefactors. That white liberalism, which I think Jack Mulligan is intended to embody, has about it the faint whiff of bullshit, you know? Mm. You, might, you might talk the talk of uh, racial progress, racial equality, and racial empowerment, but when it comes down to it, the actions of so many complacent white liberals, I think we're, we're meant to take from this movie, is uh, tainted by hypocrisy, by self-dealing, and by self-delusion. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Strong words. <laughs> yes. This is, this is definitely a film. Look, I, I don't think we're really – look, we don't live in the States, and uh, I, I don't think – yeah, I, I don't think we're really going to discuss this – in any level of detail, right? But there is this film is def, uh, there is another podcast out there that will that I think you can really go deep in a film like this with with that sort of stuff. So yeah. Um, mm. Okay. On that interesting note, um, I think we've pretty much talked all we can talk about in terms of widows, right? Are we done? <laughs> we're done. I think we're done. <laughs> Okay, thanks everybody for joining me tonight. Um, I think we'll be back next week with another film 
that we have yet to decide, but um, we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks, my crew, for chatting tonight. Um, Good night, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Good night. Bye. Bye. Yeah.